0: And Father, we praise you for that. We praise you that you are not like us. We praise you that you are high and exalted and you are seated on the throne. You're not wringing your hands. You're not pacing. You're not wondering what's going to happen next. Lord, forgive us for the times that we don't trust you. Forgive us for the times that we willfully choose not to follow pray that we would be people who run hard after you would you capture our hearts this morning would you make us willing and open surrendering our wills to yours and father as your word is brought may you continue to be high and lifted up and I pray all these things in the strong and powerful name of Jesus amen thank you Jill thank you Amy thank you worship team God loves multiplication. Now for some of you who aren't uh, great math enthusiasts, that may be a discouragement right at the moment, but hang with me. God loves multiplication. Uh, Think with me here for a little bit. At creation, God makes plants and animals with the ability to multiply. Why? Couldn't he have created enough of them? In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve. And he creates them in the kind of a way to where they're designed with an ability to reproduce. Couldn't God have just created everybody? I mean, think of this. He did with the angels. And in fact, the first thing that we find in Scripture, God saying to Adam and Eve is this. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God loves multiplication. Noah and the ark. The first thing that God says to Noah when the flood ceases is this Noah, go out from the ark. I love this. Swarm the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. Abraham. (laughs) He's an older gent. He says, hey, Abraham, look at the stars. You see all those stars? From out of you. I want to raise up an offspring out of you. There are as many as that. Moses, at Mount Sinai, Exodus 36, or I'm sorry, Exodus 19, Uh, God says to the people of Israel, you shall be a kingdom of priests. A a kingdom of priests to the nations, by the way. You, You see, it's not just about you. It's about you seeing multiplied to the nations. God loves to multiply. The Israelites are exiled. Ezekiel 36 Uh, They're feeling completely hopeless and lost. They're spread, cast all over. And yet Ezekiel describes the future. Listen to this out of Ezekiel 36. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth from your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you. Love that. And I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. Listen, and I will multiply people on you. The whole house of Israel, all of it. The cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. And I will multiply on you, man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. God loves multiplication. At the ascension, Christ has been crucified. He's risen from the dead uh, shortly or right as he's getting ready to ascend back. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Oh, but he doesn't stop there. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Who's he speaking to? A small group of people. The Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy two two, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. The Apostle John, Revelation 7, he describes the scene around the throne of the Godhead. Listen to this. John says, I looked and behold a great multitude. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Oh, and by the way, it also then says, and all the angels. listen, God loves to multiply. God loves lots. God loves more. And not more stuff. More worshipers. God loves multiplication. He loves the multitudes. In fact, the natural order of creation is reproduce, multiply. The natural character of God is He loves. Reproducing. He loves his people. Multiplying. Follower of Christ, I have a question for you to consider today. Your creator, your recreator, as we've talked about, loves multiplication. He's all about multiplying followers of him. Are you? And I want for you to know today, I'm talking about you. Not the person next to you. You. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. Can you tell that today is a buckle up day? Matthew 28. Last Sunday, we're in really the longest introduction to a series I've ever done. Today is one more part of that, laying some groundwork, laying some perspective. Last Sunday, we looked at the early interactions of Jesus Christ with a few of the what would become disciples. We looked in John chapter 1, and there, I just loved that, uh, Jesus invites an interested few. I mean, these guys were interested. And he says, come and see, check me out. You remember that last week if you were here? Check me out. Hey, I want for you to know, if you're at a place in your life where this whole Bible thing, God thing, Jesus thing, if you're just in a place where it's like, I'm not sure about this. I'm just not sure. As he talked about last week, this is what is so cool about Jesus. He says, cool. Come check me out. love that. If that's where you're at, I just want to invite you, check them out. It's literally a matter of eternal life and death. Check them out. Well, then we went to Mark chapter one, which is how long after John chapter one, you remember? A year. It was a year after John chapter 1, a year later, he, he comes to the, these four uh, in, in interested invitees, and he says, now come follow me, and they jump out of their boat, and they go follow him. And along with that, he says, follow me, and I will make you become something. Look, let's read Matthew 28, verse 19. This is kind of towards the end. This is right before Christ's ascension. And he's talking to the disciples here. Uh, And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Uh, Just a note here, in this passage, the verb is in verse 19. The main verb is make disciples. The participles, for all your grammarians, uh, of which I am so not, uh the, the go the 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 go the baptize the teach those are all participles that get their strength off of the verb here's my point the pinnacle the fulcrum point of this passage is make disciples god loves multiplication you see god's telling these guys hey listen uh you 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 apostles go Go make disciples. Multiply, because that's the way I've created everything around. Just look. And by the way, that's who I am, and that's what I've called you to do. Make disciples. So cool, Doug, but what does that have to do with me? Hang in here. Just remember, God loves multiplication. Uh, Let me just read out a passage out of uh, passage. Let me read a couple paragraphs out of the book here that small groups are going to be going through. If making disciples is the plan of Christ and if it is accessible to all of us and expected of all of us, then how do we do it? When you think about it, the fact that we lack a clear understanding about what it means to make disciples is astounding. This is the last command we have from Jesus to his followers before he left the earth. It is the central mission that Christ gave to his church before going to heaven. Yet, if you were to ask individual Christians what it means to make disciples, you would likely get jumbled thoughts, ambiguous answers, and probably even some blank stares. That's where I was, and to some extent still am. The more I read the Gospels, the more I marvel at the simple genius. I love that. The simple genius of what Jesus was doing with the disciples. You see, my mind tends to wander towards grandiose dreams and intricate strategies. And I'm struck when I see Jesus simply, intentionally, systematically, patiently walking alongside 12 men. Jesus reminds me that disciples are not mass-produced. Disciples of Jesus, genuine, committed, self-sacrificing followers of Christ, are not made overnight. We're on this journey to take a look at what's the call? What's the call in our lives? Well, hang a right in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something very different today. It's kind of a systematic overview, a little bit like last week, but in a much uh, bigger, quicker way. Uh, That doesn't mean shorter sorry um what was platt talking about when he was amazed by jesus simply intentionally systematically patiently walking alongside 12 men i want for us to scan through the gospel of mark today and just take a look and observe We're going to observe Jesus Christ and what he's doing with these 12. He's called them to follow him. They're following him. And he's going to transform them into something. Let's watch how he does that and consider its implications on you and I. And by the way, our Redeemer loves multiplication. Mark chapter 1. We covered this last week, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. This is where he says, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So they jump out of their boat. They jump uh, out. They leave, uh, two of them leave Zebedee, their dad, in the boat. And as we talked about last week, you know, this is so often people think of this night of the living dead thing. Jesus you know, talked about last week, Jesus walking by and people are like, oh, I've just got to follow you. And it's like, no, they weren't. This is, these, are, these are people who have thought it through. And now they have this invite. They're like, I am so in that. I mean, I would be a fool to keep fishing for fish. I get to follow this guy. That's really about all they know. They understand him to be the Messiah. So, what's the plan? What's the transformation plan from here? Well, let's take a look. Well, in chapter 2, immediately after this, they see Jesus teaching a way like no other. I mean, there they are. By the way, they're not, quote, the 12 disciples yet. They are not the apostles yet. They are just some normal dudes, like Indiana kind of people, following along Jesus. I mean, they really are. They work out of the water like a lot of us work out of the ground here, and they're just normal guys. And at this point, they're just following. What do they see? Well, they see Jesus teaching a way like no other in the text right afterwards, and they see all the others hearing it and astonished. Now, I I want to just make a note here because there they're watching this. They're watching Jesus teach and then they're watching people astonished and they're astonished. I just quickly want to tell you a story from my life. It was probably about 20 years ago. Um, Karen and I had a couple that was really, we just kind of plastered ourselves mentoring. Uh, We had no formal Bible study together. We had no formal structure together. We just tried to plug ourselves whenever we could around Randy and Cindy because Randy and Cindy were the kind of couple where we saw them and their kids and we were like, I want to be like them. I'd love our kids to be like theirs. And so we just plastered ourselves with him. And one time Randy invited me to travel up to Wisconsin and be a chauffeur. Literally, he was kind of a a speaker to people and he'd travel around. And so I got in a car and I drove. Uh, I was a chauffeur. It was pretty cool. It was someone else's car. And we're driving his car up to Wisconsin. We go to this conference and Randy's teaching at this conference. And I don't know, there's maybe 150 people in this at this church. And I'm just sitting in the very back because he had a book table and I did the book table. I did whatever he wanted me to do and just there to watch. I will never forget. I'd grown up in church all my life. Hearing different people speak. But I am telling you, I never heard anyone talk like he talked and teach like he taught. See, I kind of had all the thoughts and the, the Bible stuff, but he was teaching in a way where it's like, I'm getting it, I can grasping it, uh, I'm getting a hold of it. And I was like, dude, I have so I didn't tell him this, but I'm like, I've so not seen anyone teach like that. And then the really cool thing is I'm over at his book table, just you know, just being Joe Blow. And I hear other people, have you guys heard teaching like this about how to live life? And they had been going to church all their life. I had never thought about it at that time really going into ministry at the time but the impact that wasn't the point the impact of it was is i just thought as a lay person who's wanting to be someone impacting other people around me at that time karen and i were involved in teaching an adult sunday school class all i wanted to do was be able to have better impact in the place where i was at right then and if i could do more of that god i would love that why All because I sat in the very back of the auditorium. Love you people in the back. Sitting back in the auditorium and being able to watch him. And by the way, this is step number one for the disciples. Well, we're going to go a lot faster from here on out. Is faster a word? They see Jesus. I told you I wasn't a grammarian. They see Jesus teaching a way like no other. Then just scan in your Bibles. They see Jesus miraculously heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, okay? No mother-in-law jokes here, all right? But can you imagine being Simon Peter and your mother-in-law has a fever, very, very sick, and this guy who you believe is the Messiah, you're just watching him. You're not one of the disciples yet. And he comes over and he heals your mother-in-law. Dudes, you cannot tell me that this is not rocking your boat at that point in time. And then they see a whole city gather and Jesus heals and casts out demons. Oh, I'd love to see that kind of craziness stuff. But look at this. If you scan, you'll see that it includes Jesus talking to demons and telling them they can't say who he is. Either you are messed up Or that's the real deal, processing that. And then you see lepers healed by Christ. You see people then coming from everywhere. It's not just me interested, but it's a whole bunch of people. We're in chapter 2, you see a paralytic healed. You see Jesus Christ tell the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. Please understand this. This is not saying like, hey, if you confess your sins, uh, God will forgive you of your sins. No, no, no. He's saying, I forgive you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but from my understanding in theology, that only God can do that. And they're watching this. And they're just processing it. Then <laughs> They see Jesus invite a tax collector just to hang with them. <laughs> they hated tax collectors. And then they see Jesus eat at his house with his tax collector friends. That's got to blow your mind about what Jesus is all about. I thought Jesus is just for the people that have their act together. I thought Jesus is just for like the really religious uppity ones. uh, No, here we find Jesus. He's like for people who are like really hurting and lost and yet interested. Uh, he sees demons speaking out to Christ saying, you are the son of God. By the way, son of God is not biological. It's not order of. Son of God means equivalent one of. Can you imagine that? You're coming on, there's a demon-possessed guy, and you say, you are the son of God. You are the equivalent one of God. And you're watching this. And Jesus is just letting him come. I just want to stop here and note, have you noted there's, that there's been no Bible college classes yet? There's not been a sermon series. Again, I'm not anti any of this. I'm just saying, make this observation. There's been no uh, religious ceremonies of any special type. There's been no big crusades. This is all that's happening at this point. A bunch of engaged, interested followers following along in a shadow, just watching and learning and processing Christ. we talked about last week. The gospel is all about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 3, we covered this last week. Jesus calls out from the crowd of the small d disciple followers. He calls 12 out and he asks them to follow him. Notice verse or 14, so that they might be with him, as we talked about last week, and that he might send them out to preach. Listen, following Christ comes with a call. Following Christ comes with a call. Being a child of God has new adoption papers with it that drive for a new purpose so follow me go make so i'll bet now this is the time that they've really put the 12 together this is the time where the bible college classes start Uh, this has got to be the time when jesus now begins to teach them how to preach in such a way that you win the favor of people This has got to be the time where now Jesus is going to talk to him about how to be a pastor as a CEO. Uh, This has got to be the time where Jesus is now going to tell him how to do big events so you bring the people in. Uh, What's the answer to that? No. What does he do? What's his strategy? Let's just keep kind of scanning. Chapter three. Instead, they just hear. They hear the scribes, get this, they hear the scribes declare that he's possessed by Satan. Can you imagine being there and all of a sudden these people, they're calling that he's Satan. How do you process that? They're just watching. Uh, Then they hear Jesus Christ say, whoever does the will of God is my brother, sister, mother. What's with that? Chapter four. Then they see Jesus Christ teaching to a big crowd. By the way, have you noted that there's almost minimal engagement of any kind in them doing anything right now? They're just there to watch. And then they hear Jesus teach about this parable about four soils, one about a pathway, one about a rocky uh, soil, one about a thorny soil, and one about good soil. And then they get done, and they go to him and go, "Um, could you, like, reverse and rewind on that one? Because I, like, have no idea what you were talking about there. I just say, that gives me so much hope. Have you ever felt that way? Like, what in the world? And I love this fact. You can read in the text in Mark chapter 4, one of my very favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Jesus kind of goes, don't you guys get it yet? <laughs> I think he kind of gets that out on the table. There's a little bit of expectation. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Really, I'm serious here. Take stuff in. But then he goes on and he explains it. I love that. He doesn't chew them out. He doesn't beat them up. He goes on to explain and explain there's four kinds of people out there there's people that hear the gospel and are like yeah whatever na 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 and then there's people who hear it and are like yeah i'm all about jesus but then the second and the third soil are yeah but then life gets hard because of following christ i'm out i thought it was just about health wealth and prosperity or the other one was hey, you know i want to follow jesus uh, uh, but man the stuff of the world is so awesome i want to be about that but it's all pointing to the fourth soil. And I the reason I'm spending a little bit of time on this is because it's so important because of the fourth soil. What happens? The fourth soil, he talks about those who receive the gospel. Think of the soil. Receiving the seed, receiving Jesus Christ, receiving the good news of Jesus Christ like good soil so we're good dirt. <laughs> That's a good Indiana thing. Good dirt, receive that in. And the soil starts putting its nutrients into the seed. And then the seed begins to grow. My word. Boom. And then it grows. And it produces. And in fact, Jesus says, and it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. The point isn't about being who produces the most. The point of it is, in fact, is this. Different people will produce different amounts. The point is produce. Why? Because God loves multiplication. It's just in him. That's Mark chapter (laughs) 4. It's not the end of Mark 4. That's my favorite story. Because they go on a big God boat ride. See, they get in a boat. They get halfway across. A storm comes up. And they think they're going to die. These are fishermen who think they're going to die. That's the time to panic. (laughs) And so in it, what do they do? Jesus is asleep. (laughs) They get ticked. Probably would have too. And they turned around to Jesus and they go, don't you care if we're going to die? I love these guys. Man, they are so like me. And Jesus gets up out of the sleep and he speaks to the wind, it says. It says he speaks to the sea. Can you imagine watching that? When you just are right at the verge of freakout zone. And this guy speaks and everything goes silent. In fact, in the text, it says, greatly calm, not just calm, but bam, calm. And then Jesus says, where's your faith? Again, he's pushing them. Come on, guys, seriously. I love you, but I'm pushing you. And then, in the text, as they're going across, it says they're asking of one another, hey, Steve, who is this? That's the right question. That was the right question to be asked. Who is this guy? And then they get to the other side. And then they see a demon-possessed man healed. They see in chapter 5, sickness is taken care of. A young girl and and and, and an older lady. and, And then they see Jesus rejected in his own hometown. His own home, he's kicking him out. And then we see this, the first ministry experience. Look at Genesis, Mark chapter six, verse seven. He called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. Friends, why is this a big deal? This is the first time we read in the gospel that now Jesus actually gives them something to do as a ministry experience. It's been see, hear, process. See, hear, process. What is it? And now it's taste. Experience it. You've been seeing, you've been watching, you've been following, and that's a wonderful thing. But now, here's the deal. Guys, it's about transforming you into something. So it's not just about seeing, hearing, and processing. It's about get out of the just follow me mode and get into the do mode, and he gives them a first ministry experience, and they go out two by two, patiently, simply, strategically, moving these guys along. Are you seeing it? I, I hope you are. We're just we're making an observation today. And then they come back from their ministry experience. John the forerunner has been beheaded. I'm sure, they find out about that. Then the feeding of the five thousand. Actually, it's more like twenty thousand because the five thousand men we're talking about in the text there. Now, here, feeding the five thousand, you can see in what is it, verse uh, thirty-six, of chapter six. Uh, this more engagement is increasing because in verse thirty-seven, you got twenty thousand people. That's called a mob when they get hungry, and they're getting hungry, and there's no McDonald's right next door. And so in it, Jesus turns in verse 37 and he says, hey guys, got any ideas on how to feed him? Why was Jesus doing that? Do you see? He's beginning to pass off more and more. Take what you've been seeing and hearing and processing and now get more about thinking about doing. And they're like, dah gives me hope, gives me hope. And then in it, what happens? Jesus now, if you look at the story of it, engages the disciples in the process. He has them take the basket. He prays over them. They then begin carrying them out. Can you imagine when you're carrying food out to 10 50 20 25,000 people and there's 12 of you and you're carrying the baskets i am telling you after about the first 50 people i'm looking in the basket because i am a, i'm one of the disciples i'm waiting for the bread i want to watch when they pull it out and i want to see the next one like bam right there because that wasn't happening they were multiplying i'm just so curious about how that whole process went But do you see Jesus is involving them? He could have just gone, Lord, just give them food. And bam, it was on everybody's plate. But he brings the disciples and he says, take the baskets. You get in it, get your hands in it. And they're walking around. Can you imagine these guys? This is like awesome. And then they come back. Oh, simple genius. And then there's just more hearing and seeing and thinking and tasting and processing and then Mark chapter 8, turn there, verse 27. Ah, oh, this is a big point. And he began, I'm sorry, I'm right at verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Like, Jesus didn't know. Seriously. I mean, if he didn't know, he's like totally out of touch. No, he knew. Why is he asking this question? He's getting at the disciples' heads. Hey, who do people say that I am? And they told him, Oh, well, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, here was the heart question. Here's where he was going. Here's the center of the target. But who do you say that I am? I love the fact that Jesus, in the recording of the scriptures as we have it, doesn't ask that question until this point in time. They've been able to check him out, come and see, and, and process that for a year. Then they've been asked to follow him and to be transformed into someone. And then there's this period of time over time that's been going on. And as time's going on, they're seeing, watching, processing the taste a little bit, tasting a little bit, seeing, watching, processing. And then he comes to the point, he's like, okay, guys, stop. Here, I've got a question. Who do you say that I am? You see, because the good news of Jesus Christ is about a capital P person. And Peter, bless his heart. Oh, Peter just loves sticking his foot in his mouth. Get that. But Peter just hits a grand slam. You. Friends, we don't have time to go into all that is wrapped up in that acknowledgement of that statement. For hundreds and thousands of years, there's been talk about the Messiah coming. And this is the point where Peter, in essence, he's going, I'm telling you, you are the one. And I'm not making it up. I'm making it up because it's been based on everything I've been seeing happening here for a while. Then... Jesus, for the first time, teaches them that he must suffer and die. Why didn't he teach it to them back here? Because a strategic, intentional, transforming plan. Now they're to a place where they're advanced. They could get it. Now I want to tell you about, listen, the Messiah has to suffer and die. Are you kidding me? I've always understood the king's supposed to come and reign in the kingdom. Imagine hearing that. That's going to blow your theology all over the place at that point. And he tells them that. And then right after that, he takes Peter, James, and John to the transfiguration. I would so want to be there and watch that one. The whole Moses, Elijah, you know, ooh, cool stuff going on. Peter, you know, and these guys, hey, let's build a tent. And we'll just hang for a while in like a, an awesome man cave kind of a thing. It's like, can you imagine what the transfiguration would do to you if you were actually there and actually saw it taking place? God loves multiplication. Then they see more, hear more, taste more, process more. Then chapter 11 Chapter 11, the triumphal entry. You see, this is the part that they were all waiting for originally. The triumphal entry when Jesus comes in as a donkey, the way a king would be entering into the city of Jerusalem, comes in and there everybody's Hosanna, Hosanna, praising, singing, laying all the branches, the whole and roll going on. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. And by the way, it's Monday. Uh, it's Monday of the week. When Jesus is going to be crucified, Friday, he's going to be crucified. Why do I bring that point up? Because of this, everything that we've just talked about in this whole process has been about two years of time. And I want to tell you, if, if, as I am, uh, just if, if you're a business person, if you're a planner, if you're a plotter, if you're strategic thinking person you have to look and go oh my word from all the way from this time all the way to the week of his death what did he do with these guys life on life side by side he just invited him to rub shoulders with him he just invited him to take a look and see remember when platt when i read earlier he says you see i have the tendency to think grandiose plans I have the tendency to put together these grandiose programs and mass-produce disciples. I just want to say this. If hanging with people shoulder to shoulder over time, doing life together, going vertical together, was in fact the way Christ built the disciples, then I would suggest I and we are to do the same. friends, we live in a culture where I do my life in my little house and you do life in your little house and we don't do a whole lot of this. True? And no wonder we are having a hard time being followers of Christ that are truly multiplying it's Monday it's a triumphal entry Tuesday Jesus cleanses the temple <laughs> imagine watching that there he comes in on the thing and then it's Tuesday and he's like Cleansing cleansing the temple out. And you're watching that. You're watching him get like really miffed off. Why? Because people are not about worshiping him. About true worship. They're just about other stuff. Then it's Wednesday. And then Wednesday the chief priests and the other leaders have a serious verbal boxing match with Jesus. Jesus. We're in chapter 12 of Mark. Let me just read a couple verses. Verse 28, it's after this verbal boxing match. And I mean, Jesus is having a a verbal boxing match with like the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the leaders in Jerusalem there. I mean, he is like face to face. Verse 28, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? (laughs) wish i had time that was just like they're just arguing about this stupid stuff which is the most important so they ask by the way how many commandments did this guy ask importance of Uh, one Which commandment? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We're going there next Sunday, by the way. And then he stops there, right? No. Do you notice this? It's not just about going vertical. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But Jesus doesn't let one commandment stop the reality because he includes, he pairs up, he makes the second commandment part of it. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Going vertical together. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. And these guys are watching it. Jesus is letting them watch. That's oh, it's Thursday. They prepare the Passover meal. Jesus says uh, one of them will betray him. <laughs> Figure that. He calls the broken bread his body and the wine is shed blood. Like, what's with that? They sing a song. I wonder what song. I wonder how good of a singer he was. And then they go to the Mount of Olives and Jesus says, you will all fade away. And then Gethsemane, and Jesus prays, and then he's betrayed. And the disciples scatter, and Peter denies him. Do you see the picture? They are rocked to the core. And then it's Friday, chapter 15. And Jesus is accused before Pilate. He's mocked. Almost has the living life beat out of him walks down the road to via della rosa to the with the cross to golgotha he's crucified there nailed to a cross to hang to die like a criminal suffocate and then he's buried and then chapter 16 rises from the dead and then the ascension i just want, what a journey These guys have been allowed to participate in observing the whole thing. But please understand this. John chapter 1, Jesus says, come, see, check me out. Mark chapter 1, a year later, process it, process it, process it. A whole year later, he says, follow me and I will make you become something. I want to transform you. It's not just about following, but it's also about being transformed. And I want to tell you, friends, too many of us are stuck in follow mode. And not in the, go ahead and transform me into what you want me to be. But then here they just walk and they walk and they walk. Look at Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And look at this. After the resurrection, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Do you know that before the Great Commission, before Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that Jesus rebuked them? because their hardness of heart, because they're not getting it, that gives me so much hope. At the point where he says, you guys just aren't getting it yet, and then look, verse 15, right after that, and he said to them, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. You are getting it, but go. This is the picture. The plan of Christ is not dependent on having the right programs or hiring the right professionals. Nothing's wrong with those. Uh, But on building and being the right people, a community of people, a people who realize that we are all enabled and equipped to carry out the purpose of God for our lives. What happens when the Jims and the Kathys and the Roberts and the Hollies, scattered all over the church begin taking ownership for accomplishing the plan of Christ? Soon they begin to realize that they were all indeed created to impact the nations for his glory. God loves multiplication. Uh, Making disciples is not an easy process. It's trying, it's messy, it's slow, it's tedious, it's even painful at times. It is all these things because it is relational. Jesus has not given us an effortless step-by-step formula for impacting nations for his glory. He has given us people. And he has said, live for them, love them, serve them, lead them, lead them to follow me, lead them to lead others to follow me. In the process, you will multiply the gospel to the ends of the earth. God loves multiplication. Do you see yourself in his multiplication plan? Listen to me. I am not taking this to the place where you're thinking like, so are you saying I have to be a missionary somewhere? Are you saying I have to go into full-time ministry somewhere? Oh, heavens, no. We have so boxed this into a certain category. We're going to be spending the coming weeks and next couple months helping us to understand what does it mean to be someone that is a multiplier for Christ. Do you realize that if we as a people, if we as a church took this seriously, the impact, that, that would have. And you may be maybe going, but I don't know much. Huh. Same with the disciples. But I'm not necessarily a people lover. Well guess what? Our God loves multiplication. Hey friends, I am so jazzed about the next few months. You cannot even begin to understand. And today, this is kind of a drive point. I just want to put out on the table the perspective that God wants to multiply and he wants to use you and me in it. Are you willing? I, I mean, really, are you willing? Are you willing? You may even be, well, what are you talking about? I don't even know what that looks like. That's not the point right now. I'm just asking you, please, are you willing? (sighs) This is big stuff. Hey, as we wrap it up, I just kind of want to wrap it up a little bit differently. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes here for a minute? Maybe a couple minutes. I just want to ask, are you willing... I realize at this point in time that sometimes it's the duck. So are, are, you, are, you, are you impressing upon me that that, that, that that God has a design on my life to be someone who's, who, who's actually reproducing the impact of Christ on the lives of other people? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. Salvation is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. Salvation in Christ is about a be transformed choice. John Stott says at the root, a follower of Christ means I let Jesus set the agenda of my life. I'm not selective about that. I don't pick and choose what is congenial and stay away from what is costly. No, he is Lord of all of my life. I just want to take that statement that he says in there. Jesus sets the agenda of my life. Seriously and honestly, just you and the Lord right at this point, has God been allowed to set his agenda in your life on you or have you been setting the agenda and letting God fit in wherever it's convenient and piecemealed in? I'm asking myself the same question. God has called his children to be multipliers. To be disciples that are engaged in the process of making disciples. As a church, we want to be a place where we're going vertical. But I'm telling you, the scriptures teach the reality that that is not done alone. It's about going vertical together. God's natural order is things multiply. God's character is He loves to see things multiply. And that includes you, out of you, not just in the moments of responding and giving him glory and responding in situations that gives him glory. But it's also talking about this reality of you being a fruitful person in impacting others. I don't care if you've come to Christ in the last week or 20 years. That's the call on you. It's a sad thing. When things don't mature to what they were intended to be, picture in your mind a building left unfinished. How sad is that? A a plant that never produces leaves or that never produces the fruit it, it, it was intended to produce. How sad is that? Just straight up. How sad is it when a Christ follower gets stuck on just me and Jesus following together and doesn't advance to the place of being transformed into someone that reproduces in the lives of other people for Christ. Maybe this whole discussion is something new for you. Maybe you just need to go home and think it through. Please do. Maybe you've always had the thing that this is for people who go to, into pastorate or who are missionaries are who are the leaders in the church. No, it's not. This is every child of God. Maybe this whole thing just scares the living life out of you. Welcome. All the disciples knew was they just wanted to be able to be engaged with the Messiah. And the Messiah transformed them as they made themselves available and intentional. How about you? Maybe feel inadequate. Don't know what it means. Hang in there. We're together. And we're going to be talking more about in the coming months what it looks like to be a disciple that is engaged together in making disciples. We're going to do this journey together because it's about going vertical together. So grateful for your example. God, I'm so grateful for your patience. Oh God, I'm so grateful. We can even be talking about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We shouldn't even be able to be having this kind of discussion. Oh, but because of your grace, your marvelous grace, we can. God, I pray you would do a move among us. We are just bent. All of us are just bent to ourselves. Oh, God, may we see and be more like Christ. The full scriptures to see the whole thing. Oh, transform us, Lord. Just transform us. Soften hearts. In the glorious name of Jesus.